Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I share my interview with Jeremy Snape, Managing Director of Sporting Edge, a company helping leaders in sport and business to succeed. During the interview, we discuss success and failure, performance and the micro behaviours that sit behind this, plus emotion and pressure, and how storytelling can help you to convey your message. Here's Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you today. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Good man. Now, with each of my guests, I do send some information out up front just to get your thoughts going. And I like to dive straight in and ask each of my guests, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Well, you're straight in there, aren't you, to one of the hottest topics in performance. Um, I think everyone is debating it because I think it's particularly elusive. I think we're all so passionate about our jobs and trying to prove that we can make a difference that we sometimes go too far and invest too much of our time and too much of ourselves uh, in our work. So I think trying to find balance is becoming harder and harder. But I think when when we hear about work-life balance, we think about somebody, how fast can I get out of the office at 5.31 or how quickly can I get home to read the kids a story or play in the garden? And I I tend to have a slightly different view. I think, first of all, um, I, I, I love my job. I'm incredibly passionate about it. I get huge energy from it. So it really doesn't feel, okay, you know, flying around and speaking at various conferences and things can be exhausting, but generally I love doing what I do. So I wouldn't actually change that. I think I'd be a very uh, frustrated, retired person uh, in my mid forties. So I think partly it's about energy balance uh, rather than sort of time management for me. I think it's working out what are the activities that absolutely drain you and what are the things that energize you so that you've got the energy to when you are at home and where you are with friends that you've got the energy to put into those relationships and and actually have a special time there. And I think the second thing is your identity balance. So energy balance and identity balance being, you know, do we see ourselves as, you know, I am what I do. You know, we go to a a dinner party in Acacia Terrace and, and somebody sits next to you and says, Oh, what's your name? And the second question is always, what do you do? Um, you know, just in case we can offer them something. So I think we're often defined by what we do in our jobs. And I think that can be very unhealthy if we overinvest in that only place when we get um, sort of measured. You know, we don't get measured as a son or a father or a friend or a cousin or a charity worker. We get measured for our output at work. So when we all want to show that we can make a difference, we overinvest in that area 
that slice of the pizza, if you like. So it becomes 90% of the pizza because I want to be a success and the only place I get measured is my work. So I'll put more of myself into it. And I've done quite a lot of work with athletes and, and professional sports people around the transition. And one of the hardest things for them to do is to regain balance around their identity because it's almost like they've over-invested their you know, family fortune in a volatile hedge fund that, that is really uncontrollable rather than having it more balanced like an investment portfolio that says, well, you know, I'm spending some time here. I'm, I'm, I've, you know, got half of me as my work and then, you know, half of me is a, is a mix of husband, wife, um, father, son, sister, daughter, whatever, um, friend, you know, um, and, and mentor or, or whatever our other roles are. But those are equally important in who we see ourselves as because the problem is if we get a setback in our career where we've over-invested, that's when, you know, we feel like um, it's the end of the world. Whereas if we um, have a setback in something that's, you know, a quarter or a half of who we see ourselves as, then it limits that damage. So in terms of work-life balance, I, I don't think, to me, certainly, it's not a, a time thing. Um, I work a lot of hours, but I also like to go hard in my work, but also deep into the relationships when I'm at home. I don't work at weekends. I, I don't have my phone around me, you know, when I'm with the family, and, and, and I try and be really present and, and sort of connected at those times so i think it's more about energy balance and an identity balance for me I, I love what you've shared there and what you've explained in, in terms of identity balance and you know i've, I've often you know thought a, a similar thought around this, this title that we share with people when when they ask us what what we do and and, and it's why i'm always keen to move away and and i'm going to ask you the same question in a moment is is, is to get people to describe you know, what it is they do and why people want to work with them. Because if we're not careful, what happens is we do get defined by a title and, and we do put all of our energy behind it. And like you've shared there, you know, in, in the case of professional sports people, elite sports people, when that time is up and it, and it is a short window and we're hearing that more and more now, it's the, it's the, it's the challenge then of redefining what they do or, or, or indeed, what what gives them gives them purpose in their life? Um, Jeremy, I am going to ask you because I'm sure the listeners are thinking it as well. Given that you've alluded to sport and you, and you've also talked about you know the passion of, of what you do and the fact that you 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 speak and, and you travel, can you describe what it is you do and why people want to work and interact with you? Well, it's probably important to explain. Uh, my former life before I talk about my present life then that um, I spent 19 years as a professional cricketer uh, not the superstar but the the journeyman pro um, I was really fortunate to play in some incredibly talented teams but um, also um, get the chance to play for England so that was something that obviously I'd always dreamt of as a schoolboy. but getting that chance to you know, wear the England cap and go out and play on the world stage in a World Cup was was incredible. And one of the moments for me, I got man of the match on my debut, so that was a very proud moment. But we uh, then went up and I got selected on the next tour, which was to India. And in the first game at Eden Gardens, there were 120,000 people screaming, uh, sadly not for me, but for Sachin Tendulkar. Um, and uh, you know the pressure got to me in that uh, in that moment, and I failed in front of that huge crowd. 
not been beaten by India, not been beaten by uh, a particularly uh, difficult delivery to hit. Um, it was the voice in my head that got me out. And, and that's actually something that was quite a, a sort of defining moment for me that um, I realized that after all those years of preparation and meetings and, you know, being told how to hold the bat and how to stand and what to do with my arms and legs, no one had told me to do with, nobody had told me what to do with my head. Um, I thought I was the only one that was under pressure. Um, no, none of the other teammates were sort of showing any hint of vulnerability and and actually I played a terrible shot, got Freddie Flintoff out and then got pelted with onion barges by the local school kids. So it wasn't a great moment uh, for me, but I think that that helped me then to go and try and explore this more, to go and study and it set me off on a bit of a quest to say, well, actually, if this is the biggest difference between success and failure and no one's talking about it, then we need to uncover what it is, what's going on in this sort of final frontier. We've done the the fitness, we've done the strategy and the analysis decade, and now we need this mental insight. We can't go and measure people's heads, but we need to go and ask them, what are they doing? What are they thinking? So I did a master's degree in sports psychology as I was retiring from cricket um, and then set up Sporting Edge, which is a high performance consultancy that works with elite sports teams and business teams on this winning mindset and these winning leadership behaviors and cultures that we can develop that are all based on the psychological and human factors, not the, the sort of cold data and, and the strategy pillars. It's more about the, the human stories. So I, I obviously had a great access. I got a chance to work with Shane Warne in India in the Indian Premier League, which we won. Got a chance to work with the South African cricket team as they went to number one in the world. Um, I then worked with Eddie Jones in England rugby for, for 18 months and then also sit on the board with the League Managers Association, which looks after the leadership development for the Premier League managers. And just last week I was with Pep Guardiola with a Q&A. So I'm, I'm really fortunate to have that half of my life been in that sort of inner circle, that trusted inner circle of elite sport. And what I've done with Sporting Edge is go inside the mind of those champions and pull out the secrets, the stories, the strategies that they've used to personally cope and thrive under pressure, but also more importantly as leaders to create the environment for high performance that allows other people to thrive. So I spend my time either working and interviewing with elite sports people and, and high performers in the military and performing arts and people like that. Uh, but then also sharing that at conferences and through our digital library uh, and consulting at Sporting Edge. So I feel like I'm really privileged to to get to meet really stimulating, really successful people and, and actually have these really honest conversations with them about what it is that's made them successful. And then I get the privilege of, of sharing that with wider audiences that would never get to meet those people and, and to translate that into a pharmaceutical business or a, you know, a sales environment or whatever it might be. Jeremy, there's a, a wonderful humility about you as you describe the journey that you've been on and even some of the language that, that you used earlier in, in, in that answer to the question around you, you weren't the superstar. Uh, you referred to you, yourself as the journeyman. And, and you also talked quite, quite openly about, about failure and also viewing it as failure. We struggle as a as a society, as a as a nation, if you like, uh, when it comes to failure, and and certainly in the sporting world. How was it like for you to, 
you know, come to terms with that and, and be able to almost label it as failure and then use that as your driving force or, you know, learning and studying and, and, and subsequently doing what you do now. How, how difficult was it for you at that point? Well, I think when you're playing international sport and you've got, you know, 15 or 20 cameras, you know, on every angle, um, it it's pretty transparent. So you have to be honest. Now, even, even at that level, you know, you could still walk off and say, oh, you know, something strange happened in the crowd behind the bowler's arm. There was a flash went off and it put me off or the ball bounced a bit funny or, you know, there's always an excuse and a hiding place. But I think for me, and, and this is something that I'm really passionate talking about, you know, in, in your own mind, you know, whether it was a technical issue, whether it was uh, a fear, whether it was a, a lack of skill, you know why that was a setback. And, and the biggest sort of, I know you're keen to know who's taught me the most. Well, actually, failure has been my best teacher. Um, you know, at, at age 11, my brother, elder brother went to a private school and it was all set up that I was going to pass this 11 plus and, and we'd, I'd got the uniform and the, the sort of school lift rotor had been organised. And then I failed the verbal reasoning paper and, and it was all over. And I remember sitting in front of the family, you know, all in tears as this letter that was, we all sat around waiting for this magical moment to unveil this new step in my uh, schooling and, and, and actually it was a bombshell and I remember that you know and that that was a massive driver for me that I didn't want to let people down and I wanted to to sort of take control of my own destiny a bit so I think I worked harder than most of the cricketers around me but I think you know failure is a constant you know as you step up through the various ranks I was a young England cricketer at 15 I captained England went through started a pro at 16 you know, got through to play all the county cricket and play for England. But every step of the way, there was more failures than successes because as you step up through that staircase, you're going to you're going to slip back down. And you know, it's not a it's not a linear journey. It's more like snakes and ladders that you know you've got to you've got to keep dusting yourself down and, and climbing back up. So I think if you're self-aware and honest about it, you know, we've got to use both the motivational fuel of the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment that comes from failure, if it's a public one, but also that personal reflection to say, I'm actually going to use this to do something different because that's not how I want to be. And that helps you to navigate choices and, and, and different decisions in your career pathway. But certainly given me a focus and a determination that, that I wouldn't change for a minute actually. And, and I think, you know, it's definitely been a, you know, a key driver in my career for sure. Have you, have you seen a shift in, in the time that you've been out of professional sport or, or, or high performing sport and doing what you're doing when it, when it comes to how we, how we view failure and how we can learn from it? Um, because the media still, you know, quite harsh on, on, you know, individuals and, and teams when, when they don't, don't succeed and quite quick to blame. But, but you sound, again, very confident around failure and, and learning from it. Have you seen a difference and, and a shift in, in the fields that you're working in? I think there's definitely been a shift in the, the mental game. And, and I think both in sport and business, this is the next frontier. I think, you know, um, the, the challenge for us is that uh, the media are they they've got a job to do their newspapers and, and web pages are blank every morning so they've got to make something up um, now the thing that catches the headlines is emotion 
Now, emotion is either amazing celebrity, you know, overnight successes or it's shameful experiences that we hope we never um, see ourselves. Um, so those two polar extremes are, um, you know, the stick and the carrot, if you like, if we want the success and we don't want the failure. So we're trying to move away from it. But actually, most people's lives are, are somewhere in the middle. They're these sort of hesitant moments where we don't have the courage to make a phone call or, or we we stutter as we speak in front of a group because we're nervous um, or we choose not to stick our hand up to ask a question or go for a job interview because we're, we're fearful in case we fail and it's those micro um, sort of behaviors that I'm really interested in to say actually and, and my experience is that you know I've, I've lost you know, I've, I've been beaten many, many times in my career in sport and business, but I don't get, uh, I don't get upset about that. But when I beat myself, I, that's the biggest regret for me. You know, the moments in my cricketing career that I didn't stick my hand up and, and have the courage to have a go because I was worried about what people might say or write. Those are the moments that I can't get back. And I, I'm really passionate about trying to live a little bit more, freely and and also encourage people to do it because i think if you can have you know if you can have a shared quest that you're on as a team and try and do something really special it's going to take some risks and some courage um, and you are going to fail and i think if you can own those failures and, and work together um, as a team then it then it's incredibly liberating and it galvanizes people together in adversity and you know, I, I actually see all of those things as, as really healthy and, and positive drivers of high performance and not, you know, some shameful issue that everyone's trying to bury. Because actually by burying the pressure, by burying the poor relationships, by burying the fear, all you're doing is building up this volcano that, you know, ahead of a World Cup match or ahead of a big presentation or pitch in your business, that's when the cracks appear and, and things explode. So I've seen that firsthand in both areas and you know i think the more we can own up to them and and drill for conflict and, and frustration um you know the more chance we've got of, of overcoming it and for me the people that talk about pressure and talk about um you know uncertainty and and those things those are the people that that ride through it um whereas the people that ignore it and pretend they're perfect that you know they're the ones that are, are going to come and stop you sound resilient and hugely driven what, what would you say are some of your own strengths traits and behaviors that have allowed you even going back to you know when when you failed the the 11 uh, plus exam and, and you know that experience that you shared earlier on what do you see as some of your strengths traits and behaviors Jeremy um well I think you probably have to ask some of my team but I think my work ethic is pretty strong. Um, I'm a tenacious problem solver. So I love uh, certainly performance issues for my clients. If they're struggling to solve something, I love sort of the intellectual puzzle of trying to help them with that. Um, but in my, own, in my own skills, I think that ability to understand performance, I've been a performer, I've coached high performers. Um, I've studied a master's degree um, and having that ability to see a complex issue for leaders and to translate it down into very simple steps so that that individual can own it and get excited by it. I think that's a skill and that's, you know, distilling things down. That's sort of um, problem solving. It's storytelling. It's, 
you know, uh, speaking in front of groups, whatever it might be. So I think that ability to, um, you know, encourage people to, to, or inspire people to, to see things differently and to want to go through change rather than be on the back foot and fearful of it is probably, uh, probably something that, uh, yeah, clients enjoy. And, and and I know you you've shared a little earlier on in terms of some of some of those great teachers and, and I love what you've said about failure has been has been your your best teacher. Um, are, are there some new teachers that you through the work that you're doing and the people that you're interacting with that that you're enjoying spending time with that you you can give us a little bit of an insight into? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, you know, that part of my job has been working alongside very senior coaches in elite sport. Um, so people like Eddie Jones, you know, a, a sort of ferocious work ethic, uh, you know, an accountability that he drives. He's an educator by his background. So he's got this incredible learning environment with England rugby. Um, then last week, getting the chance to meet Pep Guardiola, you know, this fantastic balance between an analytical um, strategic mind but also this very warm uh, charismatic engaging father figure type feel that you can imagine his players are just desperate to play for him because they feel like they're growing they're being nurtured and they're being educated at the same time so um, then people like Sue Campbell who we've interviewed for our Sporting Edge video library um, she used to be the head of uh, UK sport now she's in at the FA an incredible change agent in sport and as a you know an early female leader in in that transformation she's been a, a real um, change agent so so fascinating to listen to her and then uh, neuroscientists people like Tara Swart and, and then strategic thinkers like Tammy Erickson from London Business School I was asking her about the future of the workplace, the future of leadership. And she's done some amazing research um, in that space. So I'm really privileged to, you know, I guess I'm, I'm a translator, a narrator, an exchanger of ideas, and I get to meet the most impressive people. Um, you know, the head of Cirque du Soleil, the head of Formula One teams, the head of the Royal Marines, and then translate those lessons across. So I, I'm you know, I'm massively into learning and curiosity and growth and trying to think things differently. And I'm very lucky that I get to meet those people and then repackage those in the video video library that we've created. We've got about 800 two minute videos from these experts talking about how they've developed high performance systems. And then for, for somebody in the corporate world that's going through a transformation or change initiative, they're sort of staring at this spreadsheet blankly and looking with sort of the, you know, grip knuckles and, and the whites of their eyes and, and, you know, to be able to show them and guide them to some of the strategies people have used in, in different domains is fascinating for them. And, and it's a real privilege to be able to, to make that link. And, and it sounds, it comes through. I, I, I can hear uh, the privilege in, in, in your tone and in your voice and, just being able to spend time with with those different people. Fourteen years on from launching the Sporting Edge back in two thousand and five, you've worked with a number of organisations, as you've mentioned, and and created you know a number of micro lessons. What what was your driver behind creating, you know, what I would view as a, as a very different type of learning company? So. It's not your traditional business learning company, and it, and it's also not your traditional what I would call sporting learning company, where a sports star has gone in, 
and and come up with you know a, a learning company yours is very different what why were you keen to to position it that way and make it very different well it's a good question and i suppose um you know at the time of, of retiring in 2008 you know you stare at the next 30 years and think right this has got to be good <laughs> i don't have anything else you know I've, I've just been a cricketer but clearly the master's degree and those international sporting coaching jobs had, had set me up um but i suppose i had a combination of um access which is really you know the key access to those high performing coaches and trust that they would sit with me for an hour or so and, and download their stories and, and thinking um, and then also that fascination with how can I make this business difference because I don't think we need another training company that does you know the grow model you know the the sort of you know transformational leadership you know the the sort of change model of cotter you know we, we've seen those slides and although they occasionally feature in what we do they're, they're brought to life through stories so we would have humans um you know giving eye-watering stories for two minutes that that illuminate each stage of that process rather than you know drawing your mouse across from the bottom quadrant to the the top quadrant which i think people are, are, are dying through um so i think for me human stories um you know real emotional uh insights about success and failure and how people have got through this before are transformational they really are um, and the ability to create a business that's got partly the live events and consulting but then also that ability after the you know nice warm cozy feeling of a conference to be able to back that up with a digital cascade of well if you were talking about risk taking and trust you know here are some videos that we can now cascade in a comms program over the next sort of six months we've got that ability then to scale across thousands of people across the world and across all layers of the business and those videos never get watered down and never get tired uh, unlike myself um, so so that that's why the business is different it's like a you know the success secrets we exchange those across and and the licensing model and the digital coaching programs that we've created allow us to scale that impact into the rooms that I can't get to because I'm somewhere else. I love it. And I'm smiling to myself as you described the grow model uh, and, and Cotter's model and, <laughs> and other traditional learning interventions, which don't always have the desired impact that an organization is, is looking at. One thing that you, did touch on and have touched on a number of times is is storytelling um, and I'm seeing and hearing a lot more storytelling come into organizations that, that I'm working with and also individuals that I speak to and the type of work that they're doing how important to you is is that storytelling element well again it's like mindfulness it's just one of these words isn't it that you just I fear sometimes so I can imagine somebody who's been uh, a technical geek who's the head of an IT department who doesn't really want to be a manager he or she loves you know fiddling with wires and making databases and they're just brilliant at what they do now they've been put into a management position because the business is rationalizing and they've been there for seven years and now they've gone on a course and got to, they've been told they've got to become a storyteller and I think they're petrified of it to be honest um, so I think I think storytelling is an ancient 
you know, way of sharing analogies and metaphors to get people to emotionally connect with an idea or a way of behaving. And they're, they're fundamental, they're primitive, and they're game changers. There's no doubt about that. But do we really expect everyone in our business to be an inspirational, you know, storyteller? Not at all. And I don't think we should put people under pressure. So that's partly why I set up Sporting Edge in the way that we did that. There's some brilliant storytellers there. We filmed RADA communication coaches. We've, you know, filmed military leaders talking about, you know, how they messed up in, in Iraq or, or whatever. And, and those are the stories. They're two minute stories that help people to start a conversation in their room. So I think there's lots of different ways of telling stories. It doesn't have to be you narrating like, you know, Shakespeare on top of a, you know, on top of a stage. It can actually just be using some content, using a quote, using a story from in the business, getting other people to share their voice across a team. There's always a story. And I think from working with teams that are on tour for three months at a time, you know, I remember being in Australia with the South African cricket team and, and I got there early one morning in the dressing room and this, you know, wizened old um, uh, dressing room attendant called Rocky, uh, you know, sort of 70 year old bloke was sort of scuttling out the back of the, the changing room with a glass and some paper in his hand. And I said, you know, what are you doing? And he'd found this um, red back spider in in and around the dressing room which is lethal <laughs> um so we said okay i said so bring bring it in here put it in the middle of the table and let's just stick it down but make sure the glass stays on top of it the players came in and we said do you realize that we're playing against australia and we've got to be ruthless today and we had a guest in our dressing room before us that is completely ruthless this is as ruthless as you can get because it doesn't care who you are what color you are what you what football team you support this thing would kill you if it had the chance so let's use this today as our sort of metaphor to go and get the Aussies and we had a good day and that was talked about for for a long time you know so there's I think people you've got to use what's around you you don't need to come up with some you know inspirational you know story all the time because it's really hard to do it and um yeah if if we've done anything we've given um you know ordinary people who are flat out busy in their work we've given them a toolkit of 800 stories that they can press play sit back let somebody tell something fascinating funny or intriguing and then say what do you think of that and they're off and running so so yeah that's that's my take on storytelling Brilliant. And, and you've summed it up with, with a story, which, which is excellent. Jeremy, where, where do you see your opportunities to support organisations, teams and individuals in the future? Well, I think, you know, clearly we're sitting in the middle of uh, a chronic period of uncertainty. It's certainly in Britain, for your listeners. Um, you know, this is never, no one's ever seen anything like this before. And I think it takes a certain mindset uh, to be able to acknowledge that we can't plan methodically for the next six years. We probably can't do it for the next six months, but I think for the next six weeks, we can say, right, this is how we're going to play it. Um, we're going to empower our teams to solve this puzzle together. And we've all got to stay really focused and committed to each other to make sure that we stay on track. So, so I think the turbulence and the uncertainty is clearly a mental and psychological and cultural issue it's not um you know it's not anything else and we've got to we've got to be able to embrace that first 
So I certainly feel we, we're getting a lot of inquiries about resilience and about leading change and about coping and disruption. So, so those are all elements that, you know, the Premier League football managers face, you know, on a daily and weekly basis. And, um, you know, those analogies from the military and from, um, you know, the performing arts, um, you know, performing under pressure as a ballerina or a military leader or a football coach are exactly the same as a, as a, a leader that's been told that they've got to, you know, change the business and, and build in some new digital strategies or whatever it might be. So we work on the psychological elements and the human factors. And, and um, I only see those growing as the robots and the AI machines sort of take over. We need to become more human and more engaging and more empathetic. So that's that's really where we can help people. I just want to explore with you. Um purpose and, and, and why. Uh, Simon Sinek talks about starting with the why and, and I'm, I'm engaging with more and more individuals and more and more organizations at the moment as they grapple or, or explore what, what their purpose and what their why is. What do you see as, as your purpose and, and how you can make a good contribution? Uh, well, my purpose is to help people avoid how I felt in that night in India, which was in the middle of a massive crowd, being expected to be a hero and not really knowing what went on in my head. Um, I think we all want to do well in our careers and be, you know, my my purpose really is to help people to be happier, healthier and more successful in their jobs because they understand themselves and they understand how to get people uh, humans to to perform better and, and I think that's you know evident in the work that we do whether it's with sports coaches teachers or, or, or business leaders and I think the more we can tune people into the human challenge you know whether you're in elite sports or whether you're in business your job is a way to test yourself there's no doubt about that um, and it's no different you know you, you push yourself to what you're capable of you take risks you fail um, and we're all desperate to improve. And I think that that sort of endeavor is is what I'm really interested in. And I want people to try and do more because that's where the fun is. You know, whether you make loads of money or whether you make a stellar company that gets sold or whether you change the world or whatever, it's all about getting up in the morning and having something exciting to have a crack at and, and not being fearful of it. Being excited and a little bit nervous, but um, that just tells you that it's an important thing to do. Uh, and that you've got a vital role to play. So I think if I can help people feel more excited and, and more committed and more focused in their their sort of quest for success, then then that's really what it's all about. Mm, excellent. It uh, it resonates with me, and I love I love how you are able to take it right back to that 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 moment in in India, and again talk with humility about it and and clearly it shaped you and and will continue to be part of your story that that you share and and the reason why you do what you do jeremy i have what i call some 60 second quick fire questions towards the end of each guest interview and that's really just to give the listeners a, a slightly different insight to to each of my guests so are you ready to answer some quick fire questions sounds good Okay, so first up, someone that you admire and admit to following on social media. Well, it wouldn't be the Kardashians. Um, <laughs> they're not. I wouldn't. I would admit to it, but I, I don't. 
so it's not them. Um, but there's an interesting guy who's in sort of sales and marketing, Gary Vernachuk, that's got a massive social following. So I, I listen to quite a bit of his stuff, and he's really authentic um, and really direct, and he doesn't mince his words. And I think there's something very refreshing in that. Uh, so he's uh, he's somebody that I've I've enjoyed over the last uh, few months. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's all of those things you've just said. Three guests to have to dinner, past or present? Whew, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Hmm. Have to be. Um, yeah. Well, I did work with South Africa for a number of years, but I never got to meet Nelson Mandela. Um, so I think he would be one. It'd have to be a sporting great on there. Um, you'd have to go Pele probably for that. And then is there a HR leader that's got such gravitas as Pele and Nelson Mandela? I don't know if it's somebody from CIPD. Um, but uh, I'm not sure. We need, we need to leave that open to your audience to say who is the HR um, person that takes the last place at the table. For that very special dinner we've got sport we've got um politics we need learning and, and hr at the at the top table which is the quest for every hr director so i'll leave that one open okay i love that i love that that's not happened before um a guilty pleasure should you view it that way which you do when you have some time to yourself um well it's always a long run at the weekends because that is great for blowing out the cobwebs um followed by a shorter dog walk and always ending at the local pub so yeah that would be a good loop good and how long is the long run mm, good question six to eight miles something like that yeah okay good a book and or a podcast that you would recommend um, I was re I was listening to a podcast, uh, Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman. Um, he was one of the founders of LinkedIn. So he's got some really interesting interviews that he does with people about scaling up their businesses. Um, so that's probably one for the listeners to think about. Okay. And that's one on my list now. Thank you. Uh, what's one tip for improving overall well-being? Well, um, this is interesting because it's a newish one for me. I had an Apple watch um, about a year ago and I'm not on commission, but um, I do monitor my sleep and I'm reasonably competitive and I've turned it on myself, which is strange. So I'm now competitive about monitoring my sleep during the week. Uh, and I've got some fascinating stats that are coming out from heart rates and length of sleep and deep sleep and all that sort of stuff so when you can actually see everyone says oh you need more sleep my gran used to say that and i'd go yeah yeah whatever but actually when you can measure it and see it on your phone um and the kind of factors that affect it when you stop drinking caffeine alcohol raises your heart rate by six beats per minute and you get no deep sleep it's really interesting so i think the evidence that comes from measuring your sleep um is I've got an app called Auto Sleep on my iPhone, and, and it's really, really interesting. And I am fascinated uh, in, in the whole space of, of well-being and, and sleep in particular. 
Uh, I had one of the guests on the on the show previously was Nick Littlehales, yeah. who's uh, done a lot of work in 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 that particular space within sports as well. What what changes have you made as a, as a result of being more aware of your sleep? Um, yeah, it's it's a really good one, and I think just the principle for me of you know, as I said at the beginning, we're all so fascinated about what we do in our work. So we tend to think that when the sun's up or during you know before sort of uh, our day our day really counts between i don't know eight o'clock and and seven o'clock and then whatever we do after that doesn't really matter but actually you know if we take that athletic principle that the biggest competitive advantage in sport now is not how hard you train but how quickly and how deeply you recover um and i think that's that's really important for certainly the execs that i work with i talk to them about this you know if you're going to make an impact by day you've got to recover you know really well and recharge you know in your weekends and in your evenings so so that you can sustain that success rather than burn out um so so i think that's really important um and you know just little things for me about alcohol being cut out during the week trying to create a routine around sleep um you know there's lots of lots of things um yeah caffeine cut out by one o'clock two o'clock at lunchtime and some sort of key factors exercise plays a big part um so all of those things really help you to uh, reduce the stress response which then has an impact on your you know craving of sugary foods and and sort of focus during the day excellent i've got three questions left for you jeremy First up, who would you like to see or hear as a future guest on the Perfect in Balance podcast? Well, if it's all about work-life balance, I'd like to hear you interview some perfectionists. Um, so I don't know if there are any in your network, but somebody like Johnny Wilkinson, who's been a, you know, he's spoken a lot in his book about being a perfectionist and being so driven that it's got to be perfect. I think that's the kind of profile of people that, um you know struggle to find balance sometimes so it'd be interesting to get tips from people who've you know been ruthlessly focused and immersed in developing a skill or a business or you know that that level of success but then having that ability to step back um, and sustain their energy and and well-being he's a good shout i'll um <laughs> let you know how i get on <laughs> how have you met johnny uh yeah i did i met him with uh, england rugby yeah, it was uh, yeah, fascinating guy actually. Yeah, he's he's shared a lot more, hasn't he, over the you know recent years in terms of his own his own experiences and and what he struggled with and and like you say that perfectionist. So yeah, we held him up in in high esteem. I think you know now we've started to understand a little bit more. I, I think he's helping you know raise awareness for other people in terms sure. of you know what he was going through. How can the listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, um, sportingedge.com is our website. Um, my Twitter is at the sporting edge and it's Jeremy Snape on, on LinkedIn. So yeah, I'd love to uh, engage with people. If anyone's got any questions, we host regular webinars and, um, you know, share, share ideas. So, you know, all the people that I've met, I'm, I'm really privileged to have met and the videos that we've been able to create are really helping execs around the world so if anyone's got any particular challenges that they're looking for fresh ideas on and fresh content then uh, we've got loads so I'd be uh, delighted to help fantastic well as always i will make sure that those details are included in the show notes jeremy one final takeaway for the listeners 
Um, well, I suppose it's yeah. Don't don't be shy. Go for it. You know, you your failures are going to help you to um, learn new directions, but they're going to give you massive motivational fuel that can only be a good thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's my thing. Don't don't leave anything on the table and and uh, don't have any regrets. You want to be able to look back and say you gave it your best shot. So that's certainly my motto, and that's what I'm trying to do. Well, that's definitely come through. What a lovely message to to leave the listeners with. Jeremy, thank you so much indeed for agreeing to take some time out and to provide so much insight into your own story and, and also, you know, the stories that of, of what you're doing and the, and the organisations and sporting teams that you're working with. So thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Good luck to everyone. Now, if you enjoyed the conversation with Jeremy and would like to get in touch with him, you can find out more details in the show notes for his Twitter and LinkedIn, plus details of the website. Alternatively, you can have a read up on the blog from last week, which will give you a little bit more insight into Jeremy and what Sporting Edge is doing. If you like this episode, you can leave the show rating and a review on the podcast platform that you choose to listen to podcasts on likewise you can get involved on social media and ask us a question or share your feedback using the hashtag perfect imbalance tune in next time to hear my interview with cody royal author and host of where others won't managing editor of inner voice and head coach of aussie football league team canada until then remember this When you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success, increasing your happiness, or looking for greater fulfillment. Bye for now.